Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Lee Kelso. Lee, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Thanks for asking me. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. So I thought of you this morning. I got breakfast from a fast food establishment, which I shouldn't do, and then I did something that is verboten in your world. I ate it in the car. No, nothing worse. And I heard your voice in my head. <laughs> And I felt guilty on at least two accounts. So you are you are still with me on a frequent basis every time I eat in the car. Why why are you so opposed to eating in the car? Well, two reasons. One, uh, cars are kind of special to me, although yeah. uh, that's just how it is. And then two, uh, there is nothing good that's going to come out of a meal eaten in that manner. You're on the run. You're fast. You're, you get it done. Move on. And that's just not how you should enjoy food. Now, now I feel even worse. And it's compounded by the fact that I just not too long ago had my car detailed. So it's like pristine. So uh, this is just, a, I need to stop. You, you need to stop. <laughs> and, and you, are you still renovating the Saab or is that? It's a project that never ends. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I have, uh, <laughs> I now have uh, two Saab convertibles. One of them is... Uh, undergoing a pretty extensive kind of modification to give it more power. <laughs> and then I'm going to drive it to the Saab Owners Convention. Yes, there is one. Okay. In uh, in South Dakota, of all places. And you want to talk about a nerd fest. <laughs> <laughs> but they're a great group of people. It's a great community. So why Saab? I, you know, I don't know. Well, I do know. They're, it's just bizarre. The car is just different. It's built different, engineered different. Uh, the Swedes just, it was designed by aircraft engineers, and uh, I admired their ability to to make really great choices with great materials. Some of them, in retrospect, uh, we pay the price for, but yeah, it's an interesting car. Yeah. I, my only my only sob memory is there was a really cute girl. The only time I ever worked retail in college, there was a really cute girl who drove a red sob convertible. Ooh. And I thought, I thought the car was pretty great because I thought she was really cute. Yeah. So- uh, well, we're not here to talk about sobs or eating in the car. We're here to talk about you. So I want to start with career path. My my first ever memory of Lee Kelso was when I moved to Indiana and I started watching the news. Mm -hmm. And there you were as a news anchor. But you did some radio before that, correct? Yeah, radio brought me to Fort Wayne. I was a radio news guy in my hometown. Uh, moved up here to work at uh, the AMFM WMEE combo at the time. Um, transitioned out and went to television to be a host of PM Magazine. Okay. All right. And that was a show that uh, probably very few people remember, <laughs> but um, was interesting opportunity. Took me all over this part of the state, uh, met lots of interesting people, and then transitioned into the TV news department and worked my way to the 5, 6, 11 o'clock news guy. Yeah. So, so taking a step backward, when you were growing up, was that the ambition that you're going to go into broadcast journalism or did you think you're going to do something else and then pivot to that? I knew that broadcasting was in the future somewhere. Okay. Uh, somewhere there is a photograph of me at a little card table with a record player and an old shaver as a <laughs> Yeah. You know, the old 1950 yeah. shavers, they yeah. look a lot like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you are an anchor for what, 13 years? Is that... Ish? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 So why did you decide you wanted to do something else? You know, two things. One, three things. Um, the TV news business is a mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's constant variables that go into the same formula with a predictable outcome. Mm -hmm. 
And over time, I just was getting kind of bored. In TV, you to to move up, you move up in market. Yeah. And at the time, my wife and I had three little children. Mm-hmm. Her parents were here in town, and she was all about moving and, and moving my career forward. But it just hopping in markets just didn't seem all that interesting. Yeah. So that was getting a little old in the tooth. And then, uh, man, I could sense that the internet was going to be a big thing. Yeah. I could just tell this was going to go someplace. Yeah. And I just needed to be a part of that. Always been a geek. Always loved technology. Uh, and so that led me out of broadcasting and into the ISP world. Yeah. So, so I mentioned this before we hit record, but I think as much as anyone, probably more than anyone, the thing that intrigues me most about you is you, the fact that you were really deeply enmeshed in traditional media mm-hmm. and you made the switch right around the time as the internet emerged into new media. Tell me a little bit about what you foresaw with new media that made you say, yeah, I want to be part of that. Oh, well, the segmentation uh, and how we're all devolving into tribes mm-hmm. uh, driven by our interests. So mm-hmm. I know you're deep into the trails mm-hmm. and, and the trail system yeah. around here. Uh, so there's a tribe of people who are interested in mm-hmm. that and golfers and car guys and, you know, mm-hmm. you name it. We all now have multiple interests and the Internet is just so well designated to to perform as a meeting place for all those people. And I could just see that coming. The commerce, e-commerce, and the capability is remarkable. Uh, and I love the whole communication side of it as well. Uh, I was doing, um, you know, we all take Zoom and that kind of stuff for granted now, but we were pioneering that whole video over the internet thing, and it was Horrible. <laughs> yeah. But it was so interesting to be able to talk to somebody in Australia yeah. way back in the day. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it just so many of those things drew me out, and I could just tell it was going to be huge and world-changing. Yeah. So you you really go into entrepreneurship at that point, correct? Yeah. And you start, is it one company, multiple companies at that point? Uh, joined the, there was a, the internet company was pre-existing mm-hmm. here, and I went on board and kind of gave a business side to that mm-hmm. and helped grow that company. We sold it. Just by happenstance at the peak of the bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, just absolute accident of timing. Yeah. And uh, and then started a, a company that did telecom cost consulting. Mm-hmm. Realized, and that was a nice little business, but realized that, you know, I'm, I'm a word and picture and communications guy. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when I started to migrate back into what we're doing now. Yeah. So... So you're, you have multiple stops along the way in the internet world, a couple at least, and then you come here and you're at Asher for about five years. Why did you decide you wanted to try this and why did you decide that you wanted to do something else? Well, uh, the Asher thing uh, came about because, as I said, I was just kind of itching to get back yeah. into yeah. The word and picture and storytelling. And, yeah. and I've learned over the years that, that at heart, I'm a content creator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter to me a whole lot whether I love to write. Um, I'm I am not great at graphic design, but stick my toes mm-hmm. into that water. Yeah, love editing video, telling pictures with uh, with a video camera, uh, telling stories with a video camera, and and this was an opportunity to get closer to that. I also like to uh, help businesses think about how do we solve this problem, mm-hmm. whatever that problem might be. Yeah. I learned a lot from you in that regard, and how to listen carefully and 
And listen to what business owners aren't saying, but you can read between the lines about the challenges they face. And I learned a lot of that stuff here. Yeah. So so talk about what you're doing now, because it's it sort of, <laughs> you go into what I'll call new media health um, sort of news, and you do that before COVID. <laughs> and then COVID hits. So talk a little bit about why did you go down that? I mean, you used to have health call, right? You right. were You were hosting that. And then it looks like you decided, I'm going to do this, but sort of on my own because I can, technology allows for it. What was it like getting that spun up? And then where has it gone from there? I have always had an interest in health yeah. and, and just the general concepts of physiology and disease process and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It just, it, it sticks with me. And had I been a, you know, I dropped out of college if I did not make it mm-hmm. through to graduate, just didn't have that discipline. And if I did, I would probably be in healthcare today in mm-hmm. some way. Um, but I've always, as I said, been interested in health-related matters, and um, and there was a hole in the market. So the TV show that I was hosting on one of the local, I think it was the ABC affiliate, was canceled as they canceled all their local programming other than newscasts. And uh, and I just saw, okay, there's a hole. Yeah. And I love radio. Yeah. So I went to the uh, WoWo mm-hmm. and uh, said, hey, uh, you guys have a, an hour on Saturday morning for me? Let's play. Yeah. And uh, that was able to happen. So. Now I do the uh, Health Call Live radio hour, mm-hmm. and uh, just like you're doing here, I bring cameras into the studio and videotape that, so that goes up on YouTube and on the website. And then on uh, a weekly basis, each Tuesday, that's every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. on 1190 a.m., 107.5 FM, um, and then uh, every Tuesday morning, I do a little segment that brings together live streaming yeah. and radio. Yeah. So uh, I'm on the radio with Kayla in the morning doing this yeah. segment. And at the same time, from my home studio, I'm streaming it out to Facebook. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about what was happening with COVID as you're developing this and, and how how much did you anticipate what the world was going to look like? And what did you do during COVID to adapt? And how did that, how did that, I hate to use the word help, but how did that help what you were doing and what were some of the limitations and challenges? Well, I have always been fascinated with viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why. It's just a thing. And uh, so when I saw these early reports about what was coming out of China and reading sort of the, the medical stuff that a lot of people don't see, uh, I could tell this was going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in really the first of the year, right at the end of December, early January, I started doing radio shows, revisiting the... Uh, flu pandemic of 1918 Uh, and trying to get people up to speed and say, I don't know what's coming, but let's look back at what happened mm, then and mm -hmm. mistakes we made and how we managed. So I was talking to experts at Johns Hopkins and uh, an author in France who had written a book on the great flu pandemic and kind of queuing people up to, you know, this can get really bad. And and just because it's modern and it's no longer 1918, doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that viruses are going to behave any differently. Yeah. Well, you have population density and other things that actually lend themselves to that. Yeah. So uh, that was interesting and being out in front. And, you know, I was uh, listening to people from around the world. There's a a medical educator in England I follow closely. Man, this guy has been on it from the start, Mm. weeks ahead of the trends as we were seeing Mm. it in the media here. So I'm I feel quite proud that if you followed my reporting through the early stages of COVID, nothing caught you by surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you adapt to an interview model 
in the COVID world. Obviously, you have a home studio, so you're ahead of the game there. Anything specific that you needed to do to make it work? Uh, no, not really. Uh, uh, the interviews that I do, the way the show is structured typically is there is, you typically try to reserve a half an hour for a local guest, mm -hmm. and the other half hour of the program is something that I find interesting. Yeah. And uh, some researcher, a professor, a doctor, somebody, an association from out around the world that can bring light to a particular medical topic. So, uh, and I connect with those people via a Zoom-like platform that I use out of my house. Mm -hmm. And so that was pretty much an easy way to connect. And that proved to be a really good thing because then as we got deeper into the pandemic and they were limiting access to the radio station, I was still able to do the interviews using that technology. So, once again, being a techno nerd um, and being able to have all the streaming gear and, and yeah. able to connect really paid off. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite things? Because you're doing a lot of different things right now. What are some of the things, the stories you've told or the things you've been involved in? What are the highlights over the last couple of years, the things that really stand out to you? Um, hmm. Good question. Let me think on that one. Yeah. Well, let me throw another question at okay. you. you. Come back to that Thank one. Thank you. What? What, where are you going from here? What are some things you're working on now that you want to evolve, you want to keep the same, you want to add to? What's, what's at the top of your list right now in terms of the things that, are, that you're working on, that are keeping you up at night, that are making you excited, maybe a combination of those things? Um, I am doing a lot of things in, in any single day. I wear a lot of hats. This does, not, this does not surprise me having known you. Yes. <laughs> so today, for example, yeah, I did the radio segment that we streamed on Facebook. Uh, and then I migrated into, there's an e-commerce product that uh, we just have developed and that I've launched, an automotive-related product. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that's up and running now. We just, I created a Facebook ad campaign, connected the Facebook pixel, did all that kind of background, yeah. kind of crud you have to go through with that. Um, and then uh, started working in my role as a freelance video producer mm -hmm. for a big international company promoting uh, a couple of their seminars. Hmm. How'd you get connected? I mean, only share your comfortable sharing, but how'd you get connected to that? Uh, a friend of mine from early radio days who huh. is now in, has a small ad agency, yeah. called me one recently actually and said hey i'm in a pinch do you know somebody who edits video <laughs> yeah yeah i kind of do that yeah yeah so now we're producing it's 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 not great theatrical content it is what our, we did here at asher yeah and that is it's a piece that communicates business to business yeah yeah you know communicates value and problem solving yeah any anything else that's sort of at the top of the list top of mind in terms of what you're working on um i have uh <laughs> I do a weekly live stream for the Saab community that okay. actually has become more fun. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like what we, you and I are doing here. Yeah. Except uh, I'm in my studio at home and uh, we connect with people uh, around the world who have the Saab interest and talk about, you know, geeky stuff about the cars and that kind yeah. of thing. And um, uh, so that is, that's become kind of a passion project. Yeah. Well, well, all of your, your tinkering and, and the things you're doing, it reminds me of a phrase you use that has stuck with me from the day you used it. You, I remember once you talked about just in time learning Oh, buddy, and that really is, and I'll be honest, that's changed the way I think about stuff because I, you know, being someone who, you know, has been traditionally schooled. I was always like, you need to know something and keep it in the back of your mind. And then when you need to access that information, that's how it works. 
And then I was like, wait a minute, Lee Kelso has it right. Why would I carry information around in my head that I don't need? You know, if I if I learn about a facet of digital marketing now and I don't apply it, it's almost like I never learned it. Right. So why don't I figure out what I need to learn, do a deep dive, apply it, and then it's more likely to stick. That was rocket science to me, and I and now it's just how I work. And that was a game changer for me. Is that how you've always worked? Or it, and I think that's an outgrowth of the television world. Yeah, you know, when you're a TV reporter, you get thrown into, hey, uh, go. The city council's debating tax incremental financing for this district. Yeah. What is that? Go yeah. explain that. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay. <laughs> um, and yeah. and so today, uh, and I think this is such an important skill for anybody at the pace that we're living in today. Yeah. Um, there is a, a global macroeconomist that I follow who describes this as the exponential age, mm-hmm. the rate and pace of change that we're going to see in the next 20 years blow us away, yeah. leaving behind everything that we've seen before. And um, so you just have to be able to find out, okay, what do I need to know? Find the resources that are valid, being able to separate this is relevant, this is chaff, wheat and chaff, yeah, and then carry that forward. I, I I, it's not boastful. It's just the way it is. I think if you are skilled today and you give me a topic and in an hour with an internet connection, I'll come back to you and I can have at least a semi-intelligent conversation on any topic except maybe advanced mathematics. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great skill to have. And, you know, I, I think I, before you codified it, I learned it the hard way because kind of like you, when, when social media and, and the internet broke, I was probably a little bit further behind it than you were. But social media, I just kind of got instinctively. I said, all right, I see where this is going. Not to the extent, not not all, all of where it's gone, but I see where this is going in terms of how it's going to change the communication environment. I still have a lot of career left. I got to figure this out. And my initial response is, I want to be the guy who knows about social media and about a year later, I was like, there is no way that I can know everything about this. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out broad concepts. And then when I need to know different things, jump in and specialize. You know, for example, I said, LinkedIn is the thing I get the best. I'm going to focus on that and kind of leave Facebook to the expert or experts and Twitter the experts and learn what I need to learn when I need to learn it. But it was exactly what you said. It was so overwhelming that I was almost like, okay, ignorance of of all things is okay because if you try to learn all of it you're not going to learn any of it agreed with that yeah i i am frustrated that the way we teach kids is just so backwards yeah yeah Uh, yeah just you know education what we need to be saying to kids and i say to every student whenever i talk to a school and i don't do it that often anymore but uh i was never very popular with the administration (laughs) this this also does not surprise me Because I would, I would just tell them, hey, look, you know, most of what you're learning in school today is absolutely meaningless. Yeah. You're never going to use yeah. this information again in your yeah. life. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. However, what does matter is the process of learning. Mm-hmm. School teaches you that you have an assignment. You have an expectation yeah. set. Yeah. You have a time in which yeah. you need to deliver that product. Here are the requirements for the product. It's up to you to manage your time and resources that you can produce that product. Yeah. If we focused more on what's the why of learning and not the fact that, oh, you know, I, you got an 87 because you got the uh, War of the Roses wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's just ridiculous. So yeah. we're kind of missing the point. And I think kids would pay a lot more attention to the process if we kind of told them, here are the, the skills toward learning that you need to have. And again, that's what television news taught me yeah. is 
You got to think fast, write fast, and not be wrong. Yeah, no, I, you and I could talk about that for hours because I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, mainly it's we're going to teach you to show up on time and do things you don't want to do against a deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, of how, how kids learn, you know this, you and I have, have talked about this in the past. I was the worst student you could imagine for most of my, my childhood. And, but if, if it was, if it was fractions and someone told me you have to, you know, wrote, learn fractions, I was out, I was done, I was bored, but I knew instinctively that two divided by seven was 0.286 because I knew baseball statistics. So if you gave kids like, here's a passion, you know, you're passionate about music, we're going to teach you geometry and we're going to teach you all this other stuff, history through the lens of music maybe you'd get better results. I don't know. I think you're so right. Yeah. We do need to rethink uh, the goals of education. So uh, you have it here first, folks, that Lee Kelso and Anthony Giuliano are going to reinvent education (laughs) as we know it. Mainly Lee Kelso, because as Lee Kelso knows, I don't like to do any hard work. So, (laughs) All right. Well, let's pivot to the speed round of the show. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and they're designed to get quick answers. But as you can tell by by rambling, sometimes the questions aren't quick and the answers aren't quick, and that's okay. But the first one has to do with careers. You've had successes in a number of different fields. Um, You've you've, you could have stayed complacent and stayed in one path, but you've forced yourself to go into a different path. What have you learned about career fulfillment and career success that you think other people should know about? Oh, never let fear of failure paralyze you. Mm. Um, There is, uh, I, I have come to embrace failure. And when I was coaching young reporters, when I was hiring people in the newsroom, uh, their first day of full employment, uh, I would say to them, I want you to fail. Mm -hmm. I want you to live on the edge Mm -hmm. and try and do things that aren't going to work. I don't want you to do them on the air. Mm -hmm. Let's do this in camera. (laughs) Yeah. And if you make a mistake and it's an honest mistake, it's okay. Yeah. Don't do it twice. Yeah. But failure is is an option that I want you to get a hold of and explore so you know where the edge of your comfort zone is yeah. and then step beyond that on a regular basis. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a tough question. What's an example of that from your career, a time when you took a risk and it didn't work and what'd you learn from it? Um, <laughs> uh, in the in the telecom consulting business, yeah. um, man, I, uh, I shot for the moon and uh, promised a big corporation uh, a lot of stuff yeah because i thought we would be able to live up and deliver and man that was frightening and scary mm-hmm. and um and we dropped the ball but thank goodness they they had faith and stuck with us and we were able to pull it together because i didn't realize well you know it's one of those you don't know what you don't know yeah and once i got into it and realized oh we need to know these things mm-hmm and then got busy and figured those things out. Yeah. Well, and you know, anyone I know who doesn't have one of those stories doesn't have many stories to tell because you got you got to try try different right. things. Yeah. All right, second question. Tell us about um I, I normally ask people about their organization and and that's fine if you want to talk about that, but what's uh, you know, about the media environment, something that you think is underappreciated that we should know more about or something that is a misconception that you know, you think should be corrected. Oh man, you just hit a hot button for me. I don't know if this is going to take you where, where you wanted it to go. All right. Buckle up everybody. <laughs> I am very, very concerned about, um, the state of local media. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch television newscasts today and, uh, it is 
news release after news release after news release. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reporting that goes on. Is that because of the bandwidth that journalists have today? They just don't have any? I, twofold, yes. Yeah. Uh, you are a multimedia content creator. Yeah. So you've got to feed the beast. Uh, you've got to feed the website. You've got to feed you get a Twitter, you get social media, all of that stuff you're mm-hmm. expected to do. Uh, and the economics of local media has changed a great deal. Back in my day, uh, we, we were out with a photographer yeah. and a reporter, and now yeah. it's typically reporter and photographer. And what and and here's what you and miss sometimes it's it's just reporter. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I meant to say. Yeah. You are doing both jobs. Yeah, and so you're shooting and asking the questions and all that kind of stuff. And more often than than I can tell you, um, okay, so you shoot the interview, you shoot the and the photographer goes to shoot uh, the video to accompany the story. And so the pressure's off and the subject of the interview kind of get lets guard down a little bit and you just start to have conversation and that's when the real detail and depth and texture of the story comes out. Mm-hmm. Or they'll go, hey, you know, you really ought to ask about this and this guy. Mm-hmm. And those opportunities don't exist anymore. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, we were hiring, I was hiring kids who were in their second, sometimes third job out of college. Today we're getting kids in this market straight out of school. Mm-hmm. They don't understand how city council works. Mm-hmm. They don't understand mm-hmm. what Redevelopment Commission does. The role of media in a democracy like we have is we are supposed to be the watchdog of government. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and these young reporters don't understand how government works today do you see that toothpaste going back in the tube at any point man that's sad i don't so yeah. if i if, if if you wanted to be uh scurrilous and a scoundrel and all the other scuff sounds in local government today uh man you've got a great opportunity because i don't think anybody's really looking under the rug so do you see a challenge to that coming from independent media sources absolutely and um and and it is happening as the news that's being reported has little effect on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I see being reported is uh, it's it's not significant. These are not issues that I care deeply about mm-hmm. because you're mm-hmm. just you know doing news yeah. release kind of groundbreakings yeah. and that kind of stuff. And we did our fair share of that too. I'm I guess I've gotten older and and understand the role of media better and would mm-hmm. like to apply those a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, do I see it being going back in the tube? No, not really. The media, uh, local media, uh, are losing eyeballs to things that are of greater interest. Yeah. It goes back to what I was talking about earlier, the whole tribalization. Mm-hmm. We now have so many ways to get the information that about things that we care deeply about yeah. that it just consumes that time that you used to spend. The six o'clock television newscast is no longer appointment viewing. Yeah. Well, and it's it's... In the social media world, you're seeing increasing fragmentation. Not only are there more major platforms, but you have things like Nextdoor and All mm-hmm. Trails, which mm-hmm. speaking to exactly mm-hmm. the point you were mm-hmm. making, mm-hmm. where there is no more a place to go get everyone, and you can get great depth. But but let's talk for a second, if you don't mind, about the downside of that, where you see the algorithms feeding people oh. more of the provocative stuff they respond to. Absolutely. Um that's the thing that scares me the most is that it is, you know, it used to be that if you had a crazy idea in a town of 10,000, you were an out, you were an outlier. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of this peer pressure to say, you know, that, that person's kind of alone and that's a fringe idea and we're not going to support that. Now, even if you live in a town of 10,000 and you're one person, you can find 100,000 people online who are going to agree with you about anything. Right. And that enables that and encourages that. Um, I, I don't know what to do with that. 
that. So, you know, again, that tribalization concept, uh, there are Fox News viewers, mm-hmm. there are CNN viewers, mm-hmm. there are MSNBC mm-hmm. viewers, mm-hmm. and uh, it's rare that they intermix. Yeah. And the problem with that is, of course, you become, as a content creator, as the producer of that content, you are now the prisoner of the audience you've created. Mm-hmm. They expect this tone, this voice, this theme to come out of you. And if you go off path, they're upset mm-hmm. because that's not what they came to see, yep. right? And so it's real interesting how the media has devolved that way. You mentioned next door, mm-hmm. which leads me into this crazy idea that I have had that I just don't know how I'd monetize. Um, but I think people will watch hyper-local content. I agree. I agree because there's there's not a good source for it and it matters to people. It does. The pothole that's in front of or that's at this intersection in my neighborhood, I care a lot about. Everybody else around town does it. Yes. I do. When is right. it going to be fixed? What are they going to do about it? Correct. Hey, did you know a Volkswagen fell into that thing and a family of six has been missing for five days? Yeah. So the... Uh, uh, Next door, I think you could produce content that would say, hey, here's what's going on in the 07. Here's yeah. what's going on in 25. I agree 100%. Here's here, here's Southwood Park. In Southwood Park, look what these people yeah. are talking about. Well, and, you know, there's a history angle. Do you know Jill Downs? Jill is local. She lives in the North Anthony neighborhood, and she studies historic houses. Um, you know, even that, to know the story of the house you live next to, things like yeah. that. You know, I, I think it is, you know, the, the weird thing I've seen switch is, I don't want to say no one, but very few of us go to the local news for national news, but they still give it to us. It's like, if I yeah. if I want to know how the Detroit Tigers did, I'm not going to wait until, you know, one of the local news stations tells me that. I'm going to go to ESPN. If I want to know, you know, what's happening with the weather, I'm probably going to go to the weather app. Right. Um, so it's like we have all these outlets, but the one thing that's still missing is that hyper-local angle. And, you know, I, I thought that was the play for print media 20 years ago was let's pivot and get hyper-local. No more national news in the paper. We're just going to focus on what's happening in nearby neighborhoods. Obviously, that didn't happen. Well, and I think that's the concept behind local television newscasts being on starting at 5 a.m. and running till, till you know, the, the, the network shows come on at 7. And then uh, some of them are expanding their local coverage. So they, they're getting the idea that local is the only thing that's going to keep people coming back. They're just not yet producing the kind of local that people mm-hmm. want to see. I have had another crazy idea <laughs> of, uh, you know, with my streaming software at home, I can do what looks like a television newscast. Yeah. I can, what I can produce out of my den with today's yep. technology is remarkable. Yeah. And I have thought, wouldn't it be cool to get together what I would call the has-beens uh, and all the the local, there's still a lot of guys like me who were in media yeah. and, you know, that are still in town, oh, sure. but retired and moved on doing other things. But you yeah. still have that itch to tell the story. Yeah. Wouldn't well, it be cool to create an outlet yeah. where they could contribute and you would have local content produced by non-traditional journalists? Yeah. Well, and I think there's a credibility factor there because yeah. of, you know, and some of it is earned, but some of it is also because of the state of the media today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's unfortunate. I'm someone who grew up, you know, on the tailwind of Walter Cronkite and journalists where they're the truth tellers, they're to be respected. And that's not how the world looks at them. But, but you know, you're from an era where that was still, that was still there. Yeah. It, yes, and I see it today in young people that come through. You know, it's a, it's a, 
it's a hamster wheel, the yep. local media. And that's the role of a market this size. Mm-hmm. This is where you mm-hmm. come, learn yep. some skills, get better, move on, like I talked about earlier, and the whole a need to move up in market size. Um, and I see people on TV now and I can put my finger on them and go, that gal has more talent than she knows what to do with at this moment. Somebody needs to get a hold of her. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see that happening mm-hmm. all that well. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is um, there's a certain craft and skill to being not on camera, but behind the camera and producing a mm-hmm. newscast. Mm-hmm. A newscast has to have a pace and a flow and a theme and an emotional hill and valley. It's like it's like telling a story. It's telling yeah. a novel, right? You build to a conflict, provide a resolution, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And um, I always used to tell the producers, uh, I want our newscast to have a huh, wow, and hey, Mabel. Hmm. A huh is just that, a story that makes you go, huh. Yeah. And a story that goes, wow. Hey, Mabel, you won't believe this. Go. <laughs> yeah. If you have those elements. Yeah. Um, You've got a a newscast that that may hold people a little bit longer. So how do we get so deep into that? Well, a reminder to our listeners that this is the speed round of the show. Lee Kelso and I just turned the speed round of the show into a 20-minute conversation. But that's what makes this fun. All right. We have one more quick question for you. Um, And I know you'll have a good answer for this one. A tip, a trick, a tool, a hack, whatever you want to call it, that you use in your work that you think other people should know about. Now, it doesn't have to be technology. It can be. It doesn't have to be rocket science. But what's something you rely on that you think is maybe underappreciated? There is an app that I discovered uh, that is – I use it more often than I ever guessed I would. Canva. C-A-N-V-A. Canva.com. And it is a great graphics tool that allows you to produce that kind of have pre-formatted yeah. templates for posts on social media youtube all kind uh you name it there are templates there and i never find what i want but it's something that sparks a thought and gets me close enough and uh so that is a great tool the the pro cost is a couple of bucks a month yeah it's a that's a smart thing to do and a trend that i would advise people to get their arms around and start experimenting with is uh artificial intelligence writing Mm. Um, I have been very impressed. I'm starting to explore some of that now. And uh, AI generating copy mm-hmm. is getting better and better and better. Yeah. And uh, it's something to watch and understand and get ahead of. Yeah. So I want to take those quickly one at a time. It's interesting you bring up Canva because earlier today we recorded an episode of the podcast with Andy Fuller at Notre Dame. We did it remotely. And he mentioned Canva and we were talking about how some of us of a certain age initially kind of turned our nose up. It's like, how good can it be? It's really quick and easy. And now we're like, this is great. It's quick and easy. So yeah, I think Canva is, especially in the social media world, we have to develop so much content, makes it really simple to turn something out pretty quickly. So it does. Uh, On the AI writing side, um, you know, it's, again, your your timing is interesting because I just had a conversation with someone about how we as a society are going to be way less reliant on the written word in the future because of the prevalence of video and video conferencing and synchronous tools that allow us to communicate synchronously, writing will still have a place. But it it scares me a little bit as a recovering English major that one of the skills that I've relied on for years, one of the things I see as, as a differentiator is probably better done by machines. You're already seeing it. You know, people don't, I don't think people understand that 
That's that's today because when you go to Gmail and it suggests copy for you, that's AI right? It is absolutely. So so tell me a little bit about what you're how you're using that and what you've seen. I am using that to lighten my load on some content creation. There mm-hmm. is some material, blog posts yep. and that kind of thing, that um, I can set the parameters for AI, and it will generate copy that I can go in and then lightly touch. Yeah, and um, and that works very well because yep. it understands SEO, it understands all of that stuff. Yeah, and uh, so that's an effective tool. What AI as yet I have found is not good at is really storytelling Mm -hmm. and then finding the voice and setting the tone that's appropriate for what that copy calls for or putting a little humanizing touch here and there it's still a machine doing the job yeah and you can tell that but it's getting better and better and i think people need to get ahead of that yeah there's a a book that i recently read it's called lifelong learning by an author michelle weiss and she talks about the fact that in an increasingly ai driven world the skills are going to help you hand uh, stand out are the uniquely human skills like leadership and empathy and communication it's not that communication skill is going to be equated to he's a good writer but maybe he's a good editor of machine generated language i think that's a good point you know the thing that uh as we enter this exponential age technology is going to make everything faster and cheaper Mm mm-hmm and so the challenge is going to be to find where are those inflection points that humans are absolutely required. Mm-hmm. And if you can get ahead of that and, and understand what skills those positions are going to require, uh, what knowledge they're going to require, uh, you're going to be positioned to do just fine. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you're a plumber and an electrician, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the skilled trades, man... Yeah, uh, life uh, was just going to roll out ahead of you because those skills are so vital and undervalued. But that's going to change. Yeah, my my former neighbor Johnny Cipher is an HVAC guy, and he is just killing it. And he was a great neighbor because I don't know any of that. And I was like, "Hey, Johnny, this isn't working." He'd fix it, and it. I feel inadequate in a lot of situations, but when I'm watching someone actually fix something with their hands, I'm like, "That's a real skill," and the world's going to need that for you know, pretty much ever. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to offshore that plumbing work. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 going to happen. Well, yeah. So, so we're going to reinvent education. <laughs> yeah, <we are. laughs> it's going to lead more people to the trades and we're going to start uh, some, we're going to monetize next door for the pothole down the street. All right. So we have a long list of things to do. Let's get busy. Let's All go. Right. Well, thanks. This has been super fun, wide ranging as I expected it would be, but some great stuff. Thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. And thank you for, uh, for opening the opportunity for me to step up on that soapbox and (laughs) share some thoughts. Well, thanks. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Azure Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.